this iteration of Tech UK's podcast, we will be exploring how the cloud ecosystem will continue to transform industries in 2022 and beyond. 2021 has underscored how businesses are no longer just dipping their toes into cloud, but are jumping headfirst into exploring the powerful opportunities that this technology can bring. Having established the benefits for cloud for efficiency and access, 2022 will focus on bringing more additional and often more complex use cases, which will ultimately drive digital transformation with cloud. With this in mind, this podcast will deep dive into some of the fundamental trends shaping cloud in 2022, including hybrid clouds, data portability, building sustainable cloud ecosystems, whilst answering some of the biggest challenges still facing the cloud industry, such as the skills gap, and how industry and government can work together to mitigate this. For this podcast, Tech UK were delighted to be joined by Simon Bennett, the CTO of Rackspace, Chris Falkard, who is the Director of Enterprise Technology for UK Fast, and Jason Rees, who is the Vice President at Oracle. If, after this podcast, you have any questions at all about Tech UK's cloud programme, please do not hesitate to reach out. Now, on with the podcast. So thank you to all of you for joining Tech UK here today. Um, Obviously, I've already introduced you to the audience um, in the beginning, but it'd be wonderful to hear in your own words the work that you do and which company you work for. So Chris, can we start with you, please? Hi there, I'm Chris Falkard. I'm the Director of Core Infrastructure at ANS. I'm responsible for all of our backend systems and I serve as the principal architect for our eCloud VMware platform. Wonderful, and it's amazing to have you on the call here today. Uh, Simon and then Jason, please. No problem at all. Good good afternoon. Um, So Simon Bennett, I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Rackspace within the EMEA region. So I look after all the uh, pre-sales technical community across the entire region and also work with our product development uh, community in the US for both public and private cloud. Yeah, and uh, hello everyone, uh, Jason Rees, uh, I uh, work for Oracle. Uh, I'm a vice president for our uh, technology solution engineering group uh, across the MIA, um, similar to uh, what Simon said there, um, sort of the technical resources work into my organization. And obviously at the moment, we're having lots of conversations with customers about what they're doing with their traditional technologies, as well as they're looking at their uh, cloud roadmaps as well. Fantastic, and thank you to all three of you for joining Tech UK here today. So obviously the purpose of this podcast is to really look at what the core trends um, we're going to see over the coming months and and for the rest of 2022. And I think it'd be good if we could go through all of the themes in turn. But the first theme I actually wanted to start with, and it's one that I'm seeing in pretty much every insight, pretty much every article and pretty much any event that I am attending around cloud adoption at the moment. And that is the theme of hybrid cloud. But there also seems to be a lot of misconceptions on what hybrid cloud actually is. And people often mistake it for an amalgamation of multi-cloud or lots of different clouds working in silos. So maybe we can start the podcast today by explaining what a hybrid cloud is. And then also maybe in turn looking at some of the expectations versus realities around hybrid cloud. Simon, can I go to you first? Yeah, okay, not not a problem. Um, I think part of the problem is that you've correctly highlighted Hybrid cloud means different things to different people. Um, and there is no one definition. From, from customers I talk to all the time and, and our own point of view, hybrid cloud is an environment where customers are running um, services and solutions that span usually 
a blend of public and private cloud, but also their own traditional data center. And it's the end-to-end -end environment that spans all three, so that a service which may start transactionally in a public cloud, but its data may end up in a private cloud or even a traditional legacy data center, is for me really what hybrid cloud is all about. It's about that overall IT ecosystem that spans a number of different landing zones, be it you know, public, private, and legacy data centers, legacy data databases, or legacy applications, including even in many older organizations, the mainframe at the back end. So it's that whole blend. And that's for me what hybrid cloud is really all about. That's particularly interesting, especially that end-to-end -end environment. Jason, I can see you nodding along. Do you agree? I, I think I do. Um, you know, hybrid cloud, exactly as was just said, you know, it is a combination of on-premise traditional systems. Uh, people are building their own private clouds as well. And it's that um, interconnection with uh, public clouds uh, for me. I think it's interesting, again, because you can still get um, you can still get the benefits of cloud technology, even if you're doing it in a hybrid way say uh, consolidation automation and whatever we find in oracle is that we have a particular uh, capability we offer a cloud customer which actually can confuse the matters even further because actually it's oracle cloud sitting in someone else's data center but it still is is a hybrid cloud uh, in that regard for me therefore it's about choice and whereas i think multi-cloud is very much more about public clouds interconnecting together like uh, for example oracle's doing with with azure through the interconnection there it's really uh, useful to know. Um, just on that, you're, you're talking how it's all about choice and how, yes, it's really important to articulate choice to customers, but they might not necessarily understand all these definitions about hybrid cloud. So how are you in the most simplest way explaining all these different cloud options to your customers? Um, I think in the end, it is really about meeting a customer where they want to get started. Um, it's really easy to say to someone, you need to go here. But actually, it all depends on what the customer wants to do. We have many, many customers who uh, want to get to cloud. And when they want to get to cloud, what they're actually saying is, I want an as-a-service model. I want to actually reduce my costs, and I potentially don't see IT as core to me running it, but I want to get all the benefits. So when we are talking to our customers, we are trying to say to them, where do you want to get started? Clearly, Oracle's got 40 years of, uh, of heritage, so therefore, we've got lots of customers still running our technology um, in a very traditional way. So we just want to get them started most of the time. And some customers still want to move workload after workload after workload. Others actually just want to say, look, I'm in a situation, want to move everything together. So Oracle talks to customers about choice. And in the end, for me, it is about, um, you know, the right cloud, be it uh, private, be it uh, public, be it hybrid, the right cloud for the right workload. I, I want to go to you next and touch on the theme of data portability in relation to hybrid clouds. And does hybrid cloud require a firm commitment to data portability? I think it depends on the way you're looking to implement your technology and what you're looking to move into which cloud. Uh, one of the benefits of the cloud landscape now is it's moved away from just being one or two big players. And there's hundreds of different clouds out there that do different uh, services, perform different tech, uh, so utilize different technologies. Um, and the data portability piece will come into depending on what technologies you've adopted. Um, a lot of clouds will use similar data interchange formats or they'll use common standards where actually data portability between the environments uh, is very simple. 
Others will use wildly disparate technologies, and there's a lot of technology, manpower investment in making sure that data can move. So when you're looking at your hybrid cloud adoption strategy, it's really important to understand how those technologies are going to interact uh, and then how you're going to perform that transformation. I think on the other side of that as well, it's not just a technological choice, um, uh, especially with GDPR and uh, data privacy within the EU. There's a lot of legal and regulatory boundaries that need to be considered when you're looking at data portability between uh, services in a hybrid cloud model. Already we've started to identify all these different terms that can come into a hybrid cloud, so your public and your private clouds and, and your end-to-end -end solutions. What we're hearing a lot at the moment is that people are moving to cloud that like, yep, can understand that there's all these um, different models that we can go to, but there isn't that nuance of, of choice, Jason, like, like you were talking to, they're just kind of moving all of their data to the cloud and then that ends up down the line costing them quite a lot of money and they get this they get this bill through and they're like, hang on a second, this isn't what we signed up to when, when we joined the cloud. Um, so how can you use hybrid cloud in a way that could potentially consolidate costs? And Chris, I do think that conversation around data portability can also come into this as well. Um, so Simon, can I go to you and then back to you, Chris, to, to bring in that data portability element? I think I think there's several parts to the, to, to the conundrum there. As Chris talked about, there's many ways you can move data around but um, a lot of people start with firstly what is the business outcome I need my um, environment to conform to rather than the technology itself and then what's the commercial implications of delivering that business outcome because ultimately the cloud buyer is often not a technologist it may be a line of business department and that that's essential because the conversation now is actually what business problem am I solving what what's my either budget or what's my business case for doing so so the data portability question is coloured by things that may be compromises to reach the right commercial model or meet the right economic model overall in terms of the way a customer operates. So I think that the way I would look at it is it depends who you're starting the conversation with in the customer and where that conversation goes. And Jason mentioned it at the start. You've got to meet the customer where the customer wants to go. And I quite often find now my first conversation may be a, a, a division of a company, a line of business owner. And it's not the technologist at all who actually says, I need I need something to improve my customer experience or I need to move my, you know, improve my logistics. And those conversations start this. And then you look at what systems or applications they run today and how that may complement or hinder delivering a business outcome. And then you look at the data portability within you know, the array of options that then presents. So I think there is no one size fits all, but there's definitely within the range of current solutions a customer has and future options they can avail themselves of. Um, that determines ultimately which way you go in terms of both portability, regulation, and ultimately what's the right commercial fit. Yeah, if I may, I just want to build on that because I, I absolutely 100% agree. I think the interesting thing with data portability, in the end, uh, business runs off data. You know, uh, that, that's the point. An application is about the data. Um, and I think you want to make it as easy as possible for people to make use of that data. You know, be it you're running um, SaaS-based applications or you're building your own applications, whatever it is, you're trying to make insights in that data. And I think, therefore, that the format, the data, be it, you know, you're using, you know, uh, relational models or non-relational models, whatever it is, it, it is, as it has just been said, it's actually about a lot of the time the business users saying we need to get to somewhere. I think, though, on data portability in particular, there's always a danger that actually if you go to a cloud provider where there's proprietary services, that are then only available in that particular cloud, 
you're slightly locked in. It may be actually get a huge amount of insights from it, but actually the ability, therefore, to make a choice and say, well, actually, I've got public cloud, maybe I want to get a hybrid or whatever it is, that's a, that's a challenge. And also it can be a challenge to maybe how some of the cloud providers uh, actually charge for getting data out of clouds as well. You know, and what ends up happening is you build your application, you've got your data uh, sort of running in those uh, those clouds. And next thing you know, you may want to decide to move to a different thing or interconnect with a different cloud. And next thing you know, those bills, as you said at the beginning of this, have gone up. And the next thing you're like, well, hold on, what happened to my portability? It's less about technology then, it's more about the commercial frameworks. And I think that's a really important point when you're looking at the, the differences in the, the hybrid cloud model, because there are so many vendors out there, the, the commercial frameworks are very different. Uh, that's both a strength and a weakness. Uh, it gives you enormous flexibility in being able to pick the right provider for you, both from a technology perspective and from a commercial model. Do you want to go pay as you go because you get better elastic flexibility if you're, say, an e-commerce business and you're, you're, you've got peaky loads around Christmas or Easter? Um, do you want to go with a fixed contract because it gives you a lot more predictable billing and a lot more predictable? predictable utilization uh, and you've got to balance those when you're looking at which platform you want to adopt um, as Jason said there's, there's often a lot of hidden costs um, as clouds get bigger as you start integrating into other systems complexity naturally increases and with complexity comes obscurity in some ways and it's important to pick the right tools so you can monitor that and identify where your costs are coming from I think the portability of data in the cloud does give you that freedom of choice uh, but as Jason mentioned, uh, especially if you're looking at either specific technologies you're adopting, or if you're not looking at cloud as a service, but you're looking at specific, say, applications as a service where data can go in very easily, but can often be quite tricky to extricate, you need to make sure as part of your cloud strategy, you're identifying those early on um, so you get the best value for money for your solution. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and this whole conversation around hybrid cloud is just so useful. Um, before we move on to the next topic, I just want to pick down a little bit into that a little bit more, Chris. And you mentioned mitigating complexity. Do you have any examples of that at all that you can talk about? Uh, I think from a complexity side, uh, we've got a number of customers that come to us with um, either they've got legacy applications that they're looking to move into the cloud, or they've got a, a number of different solutions where they're, they're asking us to help simplify um, I think a lot of what you could see, say, from the early days of cloud, where everyone went for a big rush to a single cloud service provider, uh, they moved everything to the cloud because that was the buzzword to do. Uh, and now there's been a rationalization over the last three to four years of really making sure you're uh, locating information in the right, uh, right uh, technology and in the right location. If you've got a warehouse, really you want to keep your warehouse systems close to your, uh, your production facilities. If your net connection goes down, your business will effectively grind to a halt. But actually, if you've got a web front end to that, if you've got customers engaging, that's the service you move to the cloud because you'll get a better experience for your customers and it'll be more elastic and scalable. So a lot of the time when we're, we're engaging with our customers, it's looking at rationalization, making sure things are in the right location at the right time, they're utilizing the right technology, and they're getting the best value for money. I think one of the examples we see from a complexity side when it comes to development is making sure your dev systems are in the right location. Uh, we can often see people moving to the cloud for cost consolidation. But at the same time, if you're in a dev environment, you're trialing things out, uh, you can get un unexpected surprises with cost runaways. Uh, we've got a great example of one of our customers um, who uh, were using, utilizing a public cloud service, uh, not through ourselves, um, but they had one of their devs who ran a query over the weekend. Uh, he came back and he had a £50,000 bill because it had gone rogue and consumed an enormous amount of data. Uh, and making sure when you're you're building these clouds out, you've, you've got the tools to monitor, you've got the, the boundaries in place to make sure things like that don't happen, um, or you can identify them quickly is really important. 
I definitely think this conversation around rationalization and utilization really links well to the next topic that I want to discuss. And that is the um, idea of cloud sustainability. Jason, I think I'll go to, to you first, if that's okay. Um, can you briefly describe how cloud can be a tool for businesses to reach the ECG targets? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two ways, well, three ways looking at this. Uh, I think the first thing is what do cloud providers do themselves? Um, so, you know, for example, uh, Oracle, we, uh, we ensure that sort of all our facilities, all our data centers across uh, EMEA are all 100% renewables from an energy point of view. So that's one sort of example, and that will be continuing. Then also, maybe more uniquely for Oracle as a, as a solution provider as well, we will actually give the tools to allow businesses to be uh, more sustainable as well. So be it from a supply chain, logistics, whatever uh, those pieces are. And I think the, the final piece is obviously what you're doing as an organization your, yourself to make sure that you know, you're, you're being, being sustainable. Again, you know, from, from a, a hardware point of view, are you making sure you're reducing you know, e-waste and, and the like? So I think there's many different things we can do. And obviously the key thing with cloud is rather than you're having to go and buy all the infrastructure and wire it all up together and obviously it's, it's total cost and, 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 and potentially the low utilization you can therefore, um, you would therefore see, if you've actually go into a more cloud provider where they've got those economies of scale, they've got that consolidation, standardization, automation we're talking about, that can surely only reduce the amount of over, um, overriding costs that each business would otherwise have themselves. So, yeah, consolidation uh, as a cloud provider, making sure you know, you're reducing costs and uh, being sustainable yourself, but making sure you're actually giving the tools and the solutions to end customers to be even more sustainable themselves. Jason, how do you go about bridging that conversation with your end users? Do you bring it in right from the start? More and more, we are finding when customers are asking to look at Oracle Cloud Services, one of the first things they're asking is, what about what is your sustainable sustainability uh, position? You know, for example, we were at um, uh, COP26 um, in Glasgow, obviously recently, uh, you know, signed up to things like, you know, UN Race to Zero. So a lot of the time, actually, it's our customers who are demanding that uh, of us as well. And again, otherwise, you know, then it's a case of saying, how can our solutions, can, can these cloud solutions we're talking about, how can they then uh, map into what our customers trying to achieve as well? But yeah, no, more and more, it's actually at the top of the agenda and, and really important, yeah. So, Simon, Jason there is definitely touching upon how it's a joint responsibility between the end user and, and the cloud provider. Um, around security, we always talk about a shared responsibility model, right? Um, and I'm just wondering whether you have any insight into how maybe a shared responsibility model is is kind of developing between end users and cloud providers around the theme of sustainability. Well, it's really interesting because obviously um, a lot of customers will come to us because they don't know which cloud they want to put their workload on. Um, so we'll get a tender, an RFP or something that specifies and requires um, comments around sustainability, uh, net C you know, CO2, um, the overall, um, you know, I, I guess, impact on the environment of a solution they may choose. And what we often end up doing is looking at how you can implement the same business problem on a different cloud provider in the most sustainable fashion, because each cloud provider has its own tools, it has its own solutions. And some of those tools and solutions are more profligate in terms of impact on the environment than others. So what I find now is the conversation with the customer, and they're very engaged, is to go, well, is there a difference depending on how I implement this 
on a, on each hyperscaler, for example, or even in a private cloud situation, in terms of what impact it has on the environment. And the customers themselves don't necessarily know, say, what the cloud provider is in terms of its own um, reporting and how it uses maybe green energy or it is sustainable themselves. So they, they often come to us for advice on where is the best place to put my workload from a sustainability point of view, as well as purely achieving the business outcome. And I think in the last 12 months, I've never seen so many tender documents that have asked about that subject. And it really exploded after COP26. And to Jason's point, that really woken people's awareness up that I need to consider this in all my business dealings. And is, there's also the second aspect that I now see is that if you're a supplier to a major company, they may well ask you to adopt their standards in turn, and back to back those standards. So that means you've ultimately got maybe a cloud provider, someone like a managed service provider in the middle, like Rackspace in the middle, and then the, the end customer who want to back to back those commitments on improving your sustainability throughout the life of a contract or an engagement. So it's now becoming a sort of, a, a not only a sort of business as usual request, but it's something that we talk to the cloud providers all the time about. How do we do the right thing, not only now, but bear in mind future innovation as well? So it's not something that stands still. Before we move on, Chris, I wonder if there's anything that you want to bring into the conversation. I think uh, from the ESG side, um, it is something that's really important, especially from the, the ANS perspective. Uh, we were the first carbon negative, sorry, carbon, carbon neutral hosting provider in the UK, and we're now carbon negative across the business, which is something we're immensely proud of. Um, cloud itself really lends itself to being able to get to that carbon neutral perspective for most of our customers. Um, I think a lot of what happens when you try and transition to the cloud um, is a right-sizing exercise that really looks at what your existing estate is and is it really fit for purpose? Is it the right size for what you need? Um, oftentimes you'll find that there's lots of things idling in the background. You've got en empty capacity that's sat there consuming electricity and as part of that transformation process, making sure that you're utilizing resources effectively uh, can really assist with the uh, adoption of a, a carbon neutral approach. Um, Along with that, the, the technology transformation and the transition from uh, traditional IaaS into cloud native applications and application design, uh, again, lends itself to uh, increased efficiency and better environmental services, because you're really narrowing down the amount of utilization and resources that you need to keep your platform running. Cloud service providers as a whole run massive data centers. Uh, they've often got a, a much wider uh, land footprint than necessarily uh, small data centers for our, that our customers possess. And it means we get a lot better efficiency uh, in our calling systems, uh, a lot more effectiveness when it comes to buying our equipment. We can choose to make sure that the, uh, the, the, the tech going into the environment has the lowest power utilization possible. Uh, and we're, we're constantly looking in the back end to, work, to streamline the way that our systems are integrated. Um, because we have that economy of scale, we have experts that are there whose sole job is looking at how these systems can be adopted, how these systems can be uh, more efficient moving forwards. And that's often a cost, to, a cost to our customers that they wouldn't be able to bear themselves. But for us, they're, they're buying into that service that's already provided as part of what we offer. We're definitely seeing um, from what you've all said that end users are definitely more aware of the need to build cloud in a sustainable way. Um, and especially since COP26, and that's fantastic, right? Um, but how do you go about educating them in the specifics of it? So it's not a lack of awareness in, in the concept of it, but the actual specifics around cloud sustainability. Um, how are you having those conversations? I think that it, it all forms part of the, the partnership. Um, a lot of what we see, similar to, as Simon said before, is our customers coming to us asking for advice in this area. 
Um, cloud computing is often a very nebulous uh, environment. You're asking for access to technology that's very abstracted from the underlying tin, and it's not something that uh, our customers can always get the exact relation between, and they rely on a trusted third party to provide uh, advice and, and guidance on how to get to that. Um, there's, there's a lot of... Um, growth in that area as well. It's, it's often something that you can't come in and click your fingers uh, and suddenly you've reduced your environmental impact. It, it's part of the transformation process and that will come over time. Uh, you, you move to a, a more efficient hosting provider, a more efficient cloud service, and you get some benefit there. As you're going through your, your digital transformation journey, you're then looking to transition to a more cloud native, more resource friendly uh, approach. Uh, there's often then services that you can offer as part of that hybrid cloud model, whether it be uh, looking to upgrade your on-premise systems with advice from, from your third parties to move to a more energy efficient technology. As you're going through your, your digital transformation journey, you're then looking to transition to a more cloud native, more resource friendly uh, approach. Uh, there's often then services that you can offer as part of that hybrid cloud model, whether it be uh, looking to upgrade your on-premise systems with advice from, from your third parties to move to a more energy efficient technology. Uh, are you consuming different SaaS services? So it's part of that, that global model of moving into the cloud that you look at all these areas in individual detail. Yeah, and I think to add to that, because again, I, I fully agree. I think look, a lot of the time, uh, the, the first instantiations of uh, cloud applications were customers just net new. So they they just develop, be it microservices based, they, they develop more and more. And it depends on which analysts you're talking to. But, you know, there's still a perception only 15% of enterprise workloads move to any type of cloud, right? And what that means is that the, the, the first thing you could do is just do a lift and shift with a lot of, Certainly, Oracle customers do that to begin. The problem is, you're then taking the same footprint. You've probably got more modern compute um, and storage, but you've probably got the same utilization problem you had on premise. So, you haven't actually helped your sustainability agenda. Over time, uh, obviously, consolidation uh, of systems, of be it databases or, or middleware tiers, can actually be reduced. And then again, you can move to that more cloud native sort of microservices approach. But you really need to make sure that what you're not doing is just, just moving, seeing oh, I've reduced my, my cost around storage compute, um, but actually my sustainability is still exactly the same. I've just handed it off to the cloud provider. So this is absolutely fascinating and I feel incredibly lucky to be to have all this um, knowledge being thrown at me from, from you guys. So, so just thank you so much. Um, I would be amiss um, if I didn't ask this question whilst, whilst I've got you, got you here. Um, Tech UK works across a lot of different technologies, right? It, obviously, cloud is important, but we also look at other forms of emerging technologies like machine learning. Personally, I'm doing a lot of work around um, quantum and quantum commercialization at the moment. And across all of these technologies, the foundational topic we always come back to is just a lack of digital skills in the UK. So I want to kind of take that and place it on cloud since cloud is very much one of those foundational technologies. And we'll get onto this in just a second about how cloud very much supports the adoption of other forms of emerging tech. But what is your current opinion on the cloud skills gap in the UK and how do we overcome that? Jason, I can see you nodding along. So uh, can I go to you first on that? Yeah, I, 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 I fully agree. And for, for, I don't think it's cloud skills. I think IT skills, technology skills, digital skills, you just said. If I actually just visited my my son's senior school um, a few weeks ago and and to, to give a presentation on technology and obviously what Oracle does and, and the like, and it was really interesting because people were, were nodding along, but uh, not only I think it's a diversity problem, uh, you know, more more uh, boys in there than, than girls, 
but it was also um, clearly they didn't quite understand what enterprise industry is doing compared to that. Um, so I definitely think it, it starts with schools um, to make sure that sort of they understand and they're, they're interested uh, in this piece as well. The, we all know that, you know, uh, all, our, all the children know how to use digital technology much better than, uh, than years in the past. So they, they're definitely technology aware. I just think there's a gap by the time they get into, um, into, into, into jobs. Um, one of the things that Oracle does, for example, is we, we have a uh, Oracle Academy, uh, which is all about making sure that, you know, we, we are giving technology understanding back, you know, 120 co uh, countries around the world. And in fact, just in the UK, we've got 140 uh, UK schools and colleges. So I think it's about the bigger technology providers need to push back, give back into schools through these uh, types of academies as well. But somehow we need to... Um, I say we need to map people's natural technology understanding to now what's needed in things like compute, cloud computing, quantum and, and the like going forward. And I think that's the key thing. How can we energize and really uh, excite uh, the people, uh, the, the young people of today to move in? Because that's where we have to go with this, I think. Uh, I think Jason's right, and especially going into schools, I think is absolutely imperative. But th there's a near-term challenge as well in that, you know, whilst, you know, maybe Oracle are doing great work with schools, I, should, I applaud, but ultimately the challenge we have is that each hyperscaler, you know, Oracle, AWS, Azure, Google, are developing new features and new functions on a weekly or daily basis. And the, the challenge is actually the pace of change. Even if you've got people enthused, you've got the problem of the pace of change is enormous. So what we see all the time is an individual company maybe can keep up in you know the, the changes in their preferred or their major cloud provider but being able to really assimilate and understand what's going on across that cloud landscape is a is a perilous journey for most um we try and help out in, in our role and i you know the guys that i employ and the guys i look for i make sure they're all multiply certified in in each of the clouds to try and alleviate that and provide customers with best advice but with the best will in the world, what we're facing with is a ever increasing rate of change. So it's important that in understanding that you focus where it matters most for customers to deliver business benefit and almost try and ignore the chatter that sits around the outside because there is a lot of noise. And, it, and it's really looking at that relationship with your customer and what delivers benefit and trying to almost shut out the white noise of the other stuff. It's not always easy because some of the other stuff is very interesting and fascinating and you don't want to in curb enthusiasm but you have to be selective in how you do that when you're working you know with anyone in the tech industry that selectivity is becoming more and more important in my opinion yeah i, I actually Simon, i think that's a really really uh, important challenge and, and appreciate that i think as you rightly say um we can all get into the weeds around a particular service and the like but it's the outcome that is the most important thing uh, that's what the business is trying to do and, you know, we've all, I'm sure, in our careers been in religious, uh, technology religious conversations about one, yes. one service is better than another. And then you end up going, it's going to do the same thing, though, isn't it, it ultimately? Um, <laughs> so, so you, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and the interesting thing I found with the, the lockdown, you talk about certifications. Um, actually, that gave everyone a little bit of time because they weren't commuting yep. to actually get up to speed. And I went to the certification myself and I really enjoyed it. But then I realized I was already out of date. You know, yep. already out of date. So it's a continuous learning, as you say, and you are right to challenge as well. I think everyone needs to be able to make sure that we try to 
somehow simplify, bearing in mind we work in a technology industry that loves to overcomplicate. <laughs> I think drawing together a couple of the threads that from both Jason and Simon, um, now I think now is the most exciting time there has been in tech, and I'm sure I'll say that again in a couple of months' time with the latest things that come out. Um, but the, the the rate of change is both a challenge and also exciting. There's never been a, a more rapid and ever a, a, ever advancing selection of technologies for people to get involved in, and it's something that can be utilised to really draw people in. Uh, to the tech industry from a young age. We do code clubs. We've got relationships with schools and unis to try and really drive that excitement and introduce people to our engineering teams. And they can see the passion in the people that, that are in these role, roles day to day. But with that comes the challenge, as Simon said, of looking at where do I go? And a large part of this is providing roadmaps for people to understand what are the routes through technology. Um, there are ever-changing routes, but ultimately there are still areas of technology that people are interested in. We've got a, a very large uh, apprenticeship program at UK Fast, and often the, the biggest um, challenge we get back from our, our apprentices is, where do I go? There's so much choice in the marketplace now of what technologies do I invest in for my future? What do I want to spend the time learning? It's providing those pathways from a very young age all the way up to university graduates and then into your business to help them and facilitate them pick the technologies that they think will be right for them. This is absolutely fascinating. I'm really enjoying um, all this really great insight around uh, building cloud and, and more broadly digital skills in the UK. Before we move on then, I just really wanna kind of dive in, into, into this topic and ask, if as the cloud industry, if, if we were to prioritize doing anything um, to help bridge the, the skills gap um, in the UK, what would it be? Would it be that long-term education piece? Would it would it be the apprenticeships? Would it be upskilling existing staff? And I know it's not, there's going to be one thing that solves everything. I, I totally get that. But if we were to prioritize something as an industry, what would you call for? I know that's a big question. Um, so Jason, can I go to you first? Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for that. I, was just, I need a little bit of time to think about that. I, I, what is it? One of the things we have actually done in Oracle recently, we have something called Geno, so Gen Oracle. And one of the reasons we put that together is um, the traditional person, I don't know, sort of has a degree in computer science or things like that. You know, we realized that wasn't cutting it. We didn't have, you know, you still need very, uh, very able people there. But what we did with Geno was actually started getting people from different backgrounds, uh, you know, pe people who maybe, you know, had, had some time out of uh, industry, wanted to come back, newer in career, sort of more intern type type people. And to be honest with you, half the thing was actually, and, and it was just said, um, you know, Chris, you said it before, actually enthused people. So I think half the thing is, you know, you can teach someone technology, right? You know, not everyone has to be the best developer in the world. Not everyone has to be the best engineer in the world. You can teach people technology, but I think what it is, is getting people from diverse backgrounds into business and, re and bearing in mind that you know they're getting excited and enthused and just getting new ideas and new ways of doing it i think that's the that's certainly the way that i think to do it there's no magic bullet and and as as i as said at the beginning actually we, we haven't got enough time to, to wait for the new sort of uh, you know my son's age of 14 to sort of come through we need something now and i think there is a lot of diverse talent there and they just haven't had a chance to get involved I think from, from my side, there, there's two threads uh, to this. There's the apprenticeships uh, that we, we value very extensively at ANS. Uh, we, we've got a very large apprenticeship program that's only growing uh, this year uh, to, I think, an additional 60 apprentices. 
Um, it, it really helps cement uh, the, the IT skills in a very practical way from an early age uh, and further investment from, from the government, from industry in, in giving uh, youngsters these opportunities to engage with very large technology at a very young age will really help bring that out. I think the other side to that for people who are pursuing a more academic approach to their education is about furthering those academic industrial partnerships. Uh, there's, there's a lot of technology choice out there, but ultimately for the growing workforce, we need to make sure that the, the students at uni are being educated in the technologies that are growing at the moment and will make the most industrial sense moving forwards. Uh, having those tight industrial partnerships gives people access to resources they wouldn't necessarily have had within an academic sense, uh, but also then make sure the curriculum stays relevant and doesn't stay purely theoretical. And if I was going to add to that from a different perspective, yeah, Chris and Jason's point um, about apprenticeships and other things are, are great, but there's also a sort of neglected mid-tier that, that I find a lot as well, is if you go into customers and companies, there's a bunch of guys and, and ladies that are between, say, 30 and 40 that really have missed out on any kind of technical education. And to be honest, offering something for that, that community as well, because they're interacting with people coming out of university and schools and struggling to actually um, talk the same language, if you will. So I think there's a more general education for a sort of, you know, the midlife workforce, if you will, to actually be able to understand and understand how best to interact with those people that have really learned a lot more about technology that is changing so quickly. So that, you know, top to bottom of an organisation or across it, east to west, if you will, you know, people start to understand where people are coming from and why and how to use and benefit from technology. So I think there are many levels to the education piece um, to actually allow things to work seamlessly end to end across an organisation, whichever organisation it is, be it a technology one or be it someone who's running you know, a retailer or fast moving, moving consumer goods. It doesn't really matter. But I think that lack of joined upness between the generations is causing more problems than it solves in the near term. I, I think you're entirely right there, Simon. And if any of those three answers have just exemplified anything, it's it's like it's like we said, it's not a, a one size fit all. There's there's multi many many levels to to uh, trying to um, bridge the the cloud skills gap. Um, so I want to go back to something that that Chris and and definitely everyone was also talking about um in those answers, and that was the pace of change and how it's just such an exciting time to to be involved in in different forms of technologies right now. Um. We've touched on how cloud is the backbone of other forms of emerging technologies, um, such as quantum, but um, what are you envisioning for, I guess, the next iteration of cloud? Um, yeah, what do you what do you see as, as this next iteration of cloud as we go ahead? I think it's uh, the, the benefit of cloud is it's brought access to very, very expensive technologies for a very cheap price point. Uh, you only need to look at the transformation that's happened with GPUs uh, and the, the capabilities that that's enabled, uh, especially in the large hyperscale clouds, where people can now run AI and machine learning workloads that before would have been immensely cost prohibitive, but are now very easy to run and have an enormous power to the end user, providing services, providing uh, models that we wouldn't have had before. Um, an example is things like protein folding. Uh, up until recently, that was something that just couldn't be done computationally. Uh, and now they can look at protein shape just from uh, initial data. Uh, that's immensely powerful for, medica uh, for medicine and for medication design. Uh, that wouldn't have been possible even five years ago uh, if it weren't for the cloud. Uh, if you look at the quantum space as well, 
you can already see things like the, the D-Wave uh, quantum annealing system that is available as a cloud service now. And that's really just the starting edge of what will become available for quantum technologies. Uh, cloud is the big enabler because you'll get the larger companies that can afford to make the initial infrastructure investment that can then outsource that to people for a very cost-effective price and really start enabling a lot of these future technologies that we can't even imagine now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, look, certainly quantum is something that I don't know a huge amount about, but I mean, you can just imagine the power of it going forward. I think maybe just closer to home, I think uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, in the end, actually being able to get more out of the information, the data that is accessible, you know, the amount of data is stored in, in on-premise, let alone clouds, uh, you know, is immense. And I think in the end, for me, cloud is about a deployment choice and it's the ability to actually get the best use out of the investments that people can make. I mean, if you look at, you know, we're very proud at the moment that Oracle's the title sponsor for Oracle Red Bull Racing. And one of the things we find that's really interesting, that's not just about trying to put a, uh, our logo on a car. They are actually using our cloud technology to actually allow them to get access to the uh, uh, to, to the technologies we're, we're talking about. You know, they, they have a cost, a cost cap. Therefore, the ability to actually make use of a cloud provider means they don't have to have the initial outlay that we were talking about. And if you look at uh, how they're doing race simulations now, they can actually do more because they can make use of cloud technology to actually be able to, you know, with, with, with larger compute shapes and uh, GPUs and the like, they can actually do more simulations, which actually makes them more, um, you know, competitive uh, on the track. So it really is exciting about, for me, it's it's what people are gonna do with these, these building blocks that cloud providers have let alone the ones that we don't even know that will be uh, in existence and, and will be in years to come. Just to maybe add, add to that very shortly, is that cloud gives you, in many cases, the Lego. What's the art of it is assembling the Lego to build the house, the ship, the hospital, and whatever it was your imagination can take you to. And it's really looking at assembling the Lego in the right way to solve a business problem. I'll go back to my point about solving business problems. You know, Jason and Chris gave great examples of different things, but you imagine in every industry, whatever it may be, there are Lego blocks for e in each cloud that can be used to great advantage. Assembling the Lego in the right order, but knowing what you want to build is the most important part. You don't want to start building a house and end up with a ship. It doesn't work. You need to know you want to build a ship, and, and that's really important from a, you know what you want to do and then use the use the technology available. It, a lot of it's there. You need the expertise, you know, the, the people on the call, bring that expertise to bear in front of a customer. You know how to assemble things. And for me, that is so, so important to do that and then look at it from that angle. Yeah, you need you need the blueprints, right? We've all, yeah. uh, we've all seen uh, um, people starting to build Lego and you go, where are you going with that? And maybe that's maybe some of the problems we've had. Yeah. Always better to actually start with a pattern and a blueprint in order to yes. meet the outcome you're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, you, you probably expressed it far better than I, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> now, I doubt that. But um, just I just want to say thank you so much to, to all three of you for sharing your insight on the panel today. It's been a fantastic discussion. I feel very honoured to have been able to extract so much uh, in, information from, from you all. Um, but I just in, in wrapping up the session and, and just continuing on to uh, this theme of, of the art of the possible and where cloud is going, um, I just want to go around to each of you in turn and ask you what your final prediction of cloud is in the coming years. And I guess in relation to that, what are you most excited about? 
this can get as futuristic as you'd possibly like, or you can keep it a little bit closer to home. But I think that's um, where I'd like to finish the podcast today. Um, Simon, can I can I go to you first? Okay, so if I look at near term, I think what's really quite exciting with companies right now is exploiting cloud at the edge, edge computing for a lot of industries, and in effect pre-processing much closer to where the problem is warehouse management autonomous vehicles uh, smart cities smart you know that smart environment where there are certain should we say very transactional work at the edge um, and bringing the core data back for analytics in the middle i think that is going to be a re- that will explode very soon and and in the near term i think that will be absolutely fascinating but if i look longer term i'm really interested to see what actually happens with the idea concepts behind the metaverse if you look at Fortnite and Roblox and what kids today and people entering university are looking at now in terms of augmented reality, I really think that is something that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch, observe and hopefully take part in. Two absolutely core cool technologies there. Firstly, with Edge, it's going to be so crucial um, in the next year. Some of those definitely core use cases, especially amongst industry and manufacturing and and the network edge as well, we're, we're just seeing some fantastic use cases be born. But also the metaverse, definitely uh, going to bring a lot of those uh, emerging technologies together, including cloud. So yeah, definitely excited to, to see what kind of shape that will take in the coming years. Um, Chris, can I go to you next? Uh, I think coming from my engineering background, there's, there's a number of things that are, are really exciting me at the moment. Uh, we touched on some of them before. So the, the AI and machine learning piece is a massive uh, a massive piece for me. I think we're very much at a nascent early stage of where that's going to go. Uh, the compute power is just becoming exponentially more powerful every few years, and we're seeing the benefits of that already. Uh, the overall general trend of the, the commoditization and simplification of these really high-end technologies that at the moment you need a PhD to go away and start playing with. As with everything in cloud, we're simplifying a lot of that down so everybody can start utilizing those to the benefit of their business and, and wider society. Uh, I think with that will come a lot more uh, predictive analytics, a lot more services that will be very personalized to yourself, uh, be that personalized medicine, be that um, any sort of social interaction or services that you're consuming from the cloud. Uh, and also what we're seeing is the, the adoption of things like uh, FPGAs and accelerators that are a lot more custom and can enable you to be uh, have a lot more power within your applications. Outside of that, I think uh, intelligent networking is something that's uh, been growing over the last few years. We saw the initial first wave of that with things like Cisco's ACI, uh, where networking is becoming a lot more complex and these are technologies that are aimed to, to simplify that. Uh, with the, the addition of SmartNICs and some of the uh, programs from, from Intel and um, other providers, we're starting to see a lot of transition in the, in the network environment away from just dumb routing to immensely powerful technologies that help, will help with both data portability, uh, data transformation, uh, and really address some of the complexity issues that we're seeing at the moment and help people uh, bring much larger applications to bear. Brilliant. And definitely that access piece and where cloud is just going to be so crucial for access to other forms of emerging technologies in the coming years. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Chris. That was uh, really fascinating. Um, last but certainly not least, Jason. Yeah, thank you. So so I, I had a bit of time to think about this when the other two gentlemen were talking. I think <laughs> from a cloud point of view, I'm really interested to understand what we can do around automation and autonomous sort of technologies to make it even easier for people who consume stuff, to make sure that our administrators aren't spending all their time actually running, you know, maintaining stuff. They're actually getting 
the ability to make use of those systems, use of that data. So I think we'll see much more in cloud computing around uh, autonomous technologies and making sure that we're automating. I think also you'll find, and I hope you'll find more and more the hyperscalers will actually make it easier to interact with each other. So a customer really does have the choice uh, of where they want to put the workload. But I think more as a futuristic point of view, what I'm excited about is um, how cloud computing can help in healthcare. I think, again, just making sure that, uh, be it, be it we, we're very lucky. I, I personally was involved with uh, working with Oxford University on uh, GPAS, which is a global uh, pathogen anal an analytics or an analysis system, I should say. And the point was, it was there to be able to help with COVID. Uh, it was there to actually help identify these, uh, these pathogens and these variants of concerns. And that was really exciting to realize, actually, cloud technology was actually able to, in many regards, sort of keep people safer. And then you only have to take a step forward to say, well, what could we do with uh, electronic records of healthcare to make sure that, uh, you know, as Chris said before, that everyone gets the, the chance to get the right med medical sort of interaction, not just when it's potentially too late, but actually uh, proactively as well. So I do think healthcare is one area that I think uh, cloud computing is going to be a very exciting uh, uh, future for us. So uh, looking forward to seeing that. Thank you so much, Jason. And thank you so much to all the speakers for joining Tech UK here today. I know I've asked some difficult questions um, across the, the last half hour. Um, so thank you for sharing just so much um, incredible insight. Um, and thank you for, for joining Tech UK.